Hey, it's Brian with a quick announcement before we get started. You know, this time of year especially, we're always aware of how quickly time flies. So let me suggest to you that it's not too early to start thinking now about your Christmas shopping for 2022. And I've got the perfect recommendation for all the Christmas lovers in your life. Christmas Past The Book is coming in the fall of 2022 from Lions Press. Stay connected with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on events, giveaways, pre-ordering, publication dates, all that stuff. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. In the opening scene of A Christmas Carol, after Scrooge's nephew tries and fails to share his Christmas spirit with Scrooge, two gentlemen enter Scrooge's office holding books and papers. One of the two says, At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. And you know the rest from there. Scrooge spends the rest of the story learning the error of his ways and witnessing the plight of those less fortunate, leading to his transformation into a kind-hearted and charitable man. But unlike old Ebenezer Scrooge, most of us don't need to be visited by three spirits on Christmas Eve to feel that extra bit of benevolence and generosity come Christmas time. It's like Washington Irving said in his 1876 book, Old Christmas. Amidst the general call to happiness, the bustle of the spirits, and the stir of the affections which prevail at this period, what bosom can remain insensible? It is indeed the season of regenerated feeling, the season for kindling not merely the fire of hospitality in the hall, but the genial flame of charity in the heart. Or, as that charity collector rebutted to Scrooge, it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. The season is a perfect mix. The general feelings of warmth and affection toward one and all, the free flow of spending, and the impossible-to-ignore contrasts between the luxurious excess of the season and the various ways that many among us struggle to meet their basic needs. Christmas and charity are as natural a pairing as you might imagine. But the long history of charity at Christmas time has a few things worth exploring. Like who has been doing the giving, and why, and how. And how the Victorians generally, and Charles Dickens specifically, laid the foundation for the modern form of Christmas charity that we know today. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. Charity as we know it today, and I'm referring to all charity, not just Christmas-related, is usually meted out by charitable organizations and funded by donations from individuals like you and me or larger entities like corporations. This is a relatively new way of doing things. Back in the Middle Ages, for example, charity flowed from the monarchy and the church. There's record of King Henry III feeding thousands of poor people at his palace in 1248. Medieval monasteries and nunneries also made special allowance for increased giving at Christmas time, and landlords were also expected to show generosity. And that was largely about keeping the subjects contented and maintaining social order. It was also once commonly permitted for the poor to go around begging at Christmas time. These begging visits, as they were known, involved people going door-to-door soliciting charity in exchange for a song. Yes, the door-to-door Christmas caroling that seems so quaint and festive today is at least partly connected to poverty and charity. And all of this was the norm for hundreds of years until about the 17th and 18th centuries. The medieval feudal system was in decline, the rural economy was changing, and the wealthy and powerful were showing less of an interest in being charitable at Christmas time. And then, along came the Victorian age. 
And Victorian Britain was a strange place in many ways. It could be described as certainly one of the wealthiest nations in the world. But at the same time, on, on people's doorsteps was, was horrific levels of poverty. That's Martin Johns, a professor of history at Swansea University in Wales. He studies popular culture, and he's the author of Christmas and the British, A Modern History. And that poverty and income inequality was a central idea in a lot of the writings of Charles Dickens, including, of course, A Christmas Carol. I mean, if you think of A Christmas Carol and what Dickens was trying to do, he was trying to prick the consciences of middle and upper class Britain by reminding them of the poverty around them. And it's around here that Christmas charity starts to become more individual and based in a combination of generosity and duty and guilt and keeping up appearances. So when you give charity in, in Victorian Britain at Christmas time, you're often showing people that you do it. And workhouses, which is essentially where the, where the poor were sent, would print lists of people who'd given money towards the poor's Christmas dinner. Charitable giving, especially at Christmas, was somewhat of a public performance. But on the flip side of that, the Victorians had some strong opinions about charity and the people who receive it and whether charitable giving essentially rewards poverty. There was a worry that, okay, so if you look after the poor, isn't that going to make them want to not work? Because if they can get a nice hot meal from local charity, they can get somewhere to sleep without having to do a day's work, that are, isn't that what they're going to do? And it's essentially, it's class suspicion. There's no understanding of the dignity of paid employment and the fact that people don't like accepting charity. You know, it's class snobbery. But that's the idea. Toward the end of the Victorian period, charity does remain something for individuals to practice, as remains the case today, but the government was increasing its role. That, along with a changing class structure in the early 20th century, got a lot of people rethinking their own roles in helping the poor at Christmas time. But there's always still this distrust of the poor. You know, when people knock on your door to carol sing, in the past there had been a growing sense that it was your duty to give. By the 20s and 30s, people are starting to see this as a bit of a nuisance, and they're starting to question, well, why is it up to me to do them? They can't even sing. Nevertheless, the connection between charity and Christmas continued into the 20th and 21st centuries. And this is even with great improvements in lifting people out of poverty. Yes, poverty still exists today, of course, and income inequality is a real issue. But if you think it's bad now, you should have seen things a century and a half ago. Poverty obviously doesn't exist in the way that it did in the 19th century. But poverty is relative. You know, poverty is about, you know, differences of wealth. People aren't on the, the bread line or the starvation line in the way that they were in the 19th century. But there is real poverty in the sense, you know, there are people who struggle to feed their families, you know, both in the, in the US and, and indeed across Europe. Throughout the 20th and 21st centuries, Christmas charity further evolved by becoming segmented into helping certain populations and causes. Charitable giving has become more focused. Um, whereas in the 19th century, it's very much focused on the poor as a category. Whereas today, you don't, it doesn't tend to work like that. It's focused in particularly on people who are homeless, but also sometimes children's charities really focus in on this as well, because just as Christmas is meant to be a celebration of the home, it's also a children's festival. And charities that look after the elderly do use Christmas as well. We've even seen Christmas charitable campaigns reacting to specific events and locations, like in 1984, when a supergroup of 80s pop acts came together as Band-Aid to release Do They Know It's Christmas, to raise funds in the aid effort for the famine in Ethiopia. But as things continue to change, one thing that probably won't is that cocktail of emotions we feel for ourselves and toward others during the season that make us likelier to give. 
and charitable organizations like UNICEF and the Salvation Army have learned to seize that opportunity with Christmas campaigns. If someone shakes a tin in front of you and you know you're just about to buy a present to someone who probably doesn't need it or maybe doesn't even want it, then you are more likely to give it there. It's hard to say whether Christmas charity is a true blue Christmas tradition, or even if it would be a good thing if it were. Yes, the spirit of giving does bring out the best in us, but it also shines a light on all of the reasons that the world needs people to give. And in that sense, Christmas in general, and Christmastime charity in particular, provide a unique look into our social and economic realities. This is the thing about Christmas, I think. Wider kind of social and political tensions seep into it, and, we, and it's a way almost to explore how society is thinking about some bigger issues. Christmas is a lens, it's a window. You can look through it and you can see the way a society works. You know? And that's what always gets me about when people complain that it's too commercialised. Of course Christmas has got too, more commercial than it was. But it's not Christmas that's changed, it's society that's changed. We live in a consumerist society. We live in a world where people have more disposable incomes. We live in a world of more advertising. We live in a capitalist society. Christmas is just a reflection of that. As capitalism grows, as consumerism grows, Christmas simply reflects that. Back when I lived in Boston, my wife and I participated each year with a charity called Boston Cares. They worked with people who couldn't get out of the house much, usually due to a serious illness. We would sponsor a family and receive a Christmas wish list from them, and then off we'd go to a big box store and have a blast pretending to be Santa Claus. Buying stuff we typically take for granted, like socks and bath towels, but also making sure to add plenty of special fun surprises. A few years we also participated in the packing and sorting of the gift boxes for delivery. Those were fun and festive events with lots of Christmas music and candy canes and good cheer all around. Doing that was among the first Christmas traditions we created for ourselves, and it's one I look forward to handing down to my baby boy. Making our own Christmas traditions with our family is part of building a life together and part of creating a Christmas celebration uniquely our own. Just ask Kyle in Oklahoma. Hi, Brian. This is Kyle in Oklahoma wishing you a Merry Christmas. I want to share a quick Christmas story. In 2011, me and my beautiful wife Jennifer got married, and we didn't really have many Christmas traditions that first year, but we started one. And on Christmas Eve, I was out running some last-minute errands and realized we didn't have anything for dinner, and most of everything was closed, so we didn't really have a lot of options. Well, we uh, realized that one of our favorite uh, local uh, pizza places in our hometown of Bethany was open and serving pizzas on Christmas Eve. So I ordered us a large pepperoni and sausage pizza and I ordered a garlic knots and took it home. We ended up watching movies and getting ready for Christmas the next day. And that led to uh, that being our Christmas Eve tradition. So now every year on Christmas Eve, uh, we order the same thing and we go home and we watch our favorite Christmas movies. We get prepared for Santa to come um, and we just enjoy the evening together. It's kind of our special little night. And so that is our Christmas tradition. Uh, thanks for your show and have a Merry Christmas. Pizza and Christmas movies on Christmas Eve sounds pretty darn great to me. Well, what about you? What Christmas memories and traditions make the season special for you? I'd love to hear about them, and I know that the rest of the Christmas Past family would too. There's still plenty of time to send me one for the season. Just record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. 
Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Professor Martin Johns. Again, the book is Christmas and the British, A Modern History. Check the show notes to this episode for a link. Thanks also to Kyle in Oklahoma. And as always, thank you for listening. Christmas is only about two weeks away, give or take, and I hope that you've been feeling all the warmth and magic the season has to offer. I'd love to hear from you, and I'm easy to get in touch with. My email address again is christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or connect on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet to celebrate with the family all season long and beyond. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? It's as simple as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a handwritten Christmas card and a Christmas Past sticker any time of year. Reach out for details on that. I'll be back before you know it with an all-new episode. Until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.